<sighs> right. Uh, are you ready to go? Indeed. Let's fucking rock and roll then. <clears throat> get the phlegm out. WWE, <laughs> get the phlegm out. Get the phlegm out, goddammit. <laughs> From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Ruthless Aggression Relived. I'm your regular host, LT Fletcher, and I'm joined this week by the one and only JP, John Porter. How's it going, buddy? How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, mate. It's good to be here. I always enjoy doing this podcast, and uh, we always seem to end up with a nice random episode to talk about. So, yeah, looking forward to this. How are you? I'm absolutely sterling, I am. That, that's a good word for it. It's, 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 that's a word you don't get to use very often. <laughs> I'm alright, I'm doing good. Um, yeah, what a what a weird and wonderful episode this one is. There's lots of fun stuff here, lots of completely bonkers stuff, and you know, a couple of decent matches. Uh, because today, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking at the June 24th, 2002 edition of Monday Night Raw, which is a very significant one indeed, because this is officially the point at which we have a name for this wonderful, mysterious era we've been looking at on this podcast of ours. Gosh, I wonder what name they're going to come up with. It's a bit of a spoiler if you listen to literally one second, but oh well. Um... So, casting your mind back on on this one before we sort of jump in, um, do you have any sort of particular memories of this episode? Like, I, I imagine you're, you're probably going to say you remember the promo. <laughs> yeah, you, well. you hit the nail on the head. I, 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 can, I can remember this promo almost word for word to this day, which oh my is Lord. crazy. I think it's because of the amount of times he says the the two words that become very important. <laughs> Um, but it's funny, actually, it's less, uh, well, no, it, it was still very Vince, but it was slightly less violent than I remembered it. I seem to remember it more of him just yelling it randomly in wrestlers' faces. <laughs> he does do a little bit of that. A little bit, a little bit. It's not quite as much as I remembered. Uh, but, yeah, I, I remember it feeling quite odd at the time. Like, it was a real, like, cognitive dissonance for the previous episode, where it was just like, oh, Vince is randomly walking to the ring, and now he's just going to randomly talk about ruthless aggression for 10 minutes. You know, like, <laughs> he, he does it a couple more times in the next few months as well, and I can never quite get my head around it. It's, um, yeah, it was it was odd. I do remember that. 
I vaguely remember the Jeff Hardy stuff, which we'll obviously come on to later. Yes. And I obviously remember Booker T and Goldust, and I didn't remember this specific thing that happened on the show, but I do remember those guys being together. There is something I didn't remember at all happening on this show, which will be interesting when we get Mm -hmm. to it. Um, It it won't be a mystery why I didn't remember it. (laughs) Fair enough. So let's dive in then, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, back in time to the 24th of June 2002, where Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler are at ringside in the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio for Monday Night Raw. And we get kind of a, a cold open, I guess. Mm. Um, we see the ring surrounded by members of the Raw roster. <laughs> And then finally, Mr. McMahon's music hits, and Vince makes his way to the ring, gets a mic to make an address. One thing I didn't realise until I saw this again, I remembered there being way more people around the ring than there actually were. There's like 12 people here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's disguised very well in the way that they film it. <laughs> it it's kind of odd. Because, um, you know, it's... It feels a little bit like a school assembly. You know, all the kids have been called <laughs> into into the assembly hall to listen to teacher talk, uh, and then only four of them will remain out here afterwards, and all <laughs> the rest of them get to go out and have playtime. I have a conspiracy theory about this segment. I don't think oh, no. this is meant to be on the television show. I think this was a backstage meeting that got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder... Because obviously we are we are sort of fresh off the heels of Stone Cold Steve Austin walking out. I wonder how much of this was an eleventh hour rewrite mm. because they probably had a couple of weeks of television planned around Austin, and suddenly there's a big gap in the programming. <laughs> and well, we'll to be fair, we'll get on to Austin because I think thematically it's related in a way. So yeah. Uh, Vince says he's an unqualified success, and he's been asked by many of the superstars in the past what his secret is. Uh, and the uh, audience in attendance give a rather loud response to that. Yeah, I'm already giggling because he. he, he I, and to be fair, I didn't expect him to play off it. I don't remember no. him doing that. He was just like, I kicked all their asses, and why? No, no, not because I was an asshole. It's just <laughs> so good. <laughs> he tells everyone present and everyone listening the top quality that makes him a success ruthless aggression <laughs> and Vince says that this trait is what allows him to uh, it's what allowed him to take on wrestling promoters the government and WCW who were also a wrestling promotion by the way <laughs> Vince asks which of the superstars has ruthless aggression to take them to the next level he says one person is not standing out by the ring but definitely has ruthless aggression and that's Brock Lesnar uh, he then tries to set a fire under a number of the talent by brutally invading their personal space, <laughs> including Bradshaw, RVD, and Bubba Ray Dudley. And D'Lo Brown. And D'Lo Brown. <laughs> Randomly. Vince asks Bubba how much ruthless aggression he'll show when he faces Eddie Guerrero later in the night. Uh, Vince then singles out Jeff Hardy, big pop from the crowd for Jeff. Oh, yeah, uh, so. And he tells him he's going to give him a one-on-one match against The Undertaker with Matt Hardy barred from ringside. Vince says he simply wants to know who among the superstars wants it the most. So we're kind of getting 
the the guys that he sort of goes around the ring and sort of looks at are kind of the ones that they've already earmarked for greatness here. So Bradshaw is a guy that they're trying to build up. Mm-hmm. RVD, of course, is always very popular. Bubba is a guy who's having a singles push. Uh, he heads over to Trish, who's very much the face of the women's division, and Jeff Hardy, who's on his way towards getting a, a very big push at the minute, mm. uh, and also D'Lo Brown. So, <laughs> really don't know where that came from. <laughs> it took me a second to realise it was him, actually. He's just so generically dressed, though. He's, like, yeah. he's been having a great old time calling Sunday Night Heat. He's been having a <laughs> lovely time with Jonathan Coachman. He's just been having fun. Um, I, to be fair, D'Lo is going to be having a little bit of a, a push later on. He does get a bit of one, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah but nobody yeah. remembers it because of how <laughs> that angle ends. Oh, D'Lo. <laughs> Poor sod. Uh, before Vince can leave, however, he's interrupted by the arriving NWO. Shawn Michaels has a little drinky cup with him. Yeah, X- what the hell was that? X-Pac has a lollipop. And Kevin Nash has his hands in his pockets because he is very cool. (laughs) Like, genuinely, if you've never noticed this, um, anytime you see Kevin Nash doing a promo or in a backstage segment or posing for a photo with a fan, just check his pockets. His hands are gonna be in there. He's just ceaselessly... He's Orange Cassidy before Orange Cassidy. He's too cool to give a fuck, and that's why we love him. Uh, Sean, Sean says the NWO are big, Vince's biggest and best superstars and he extends the group's services to Vince Nash backs up Sean's point by reminding everyone they have collectively headlined Wrestlemania multiple times but Booker T mm. has had enough he snatches Vince's mic and says the NWO have to go <laughs> then we have this fucking incredible line from Goldust Goldust agrees he, oh, said, he says he and Booker T are the boys. They are homies. They are practically married. And <laughs> Big Show can be heard laughing so hard at this that he's like off screen and off mic and you can still hear him laughing. <laughs> yeah, and he's a fair bit away from Sean Michaels <laughs> as well. So there's a good... Ch- yeah, he must have been laughing pretty... That's to be fair, I was. Belly laugh. Oh, it's, it's fucking good. Goldust is so fucking good right about this time. Um... Vince says he won't give Booker a match with uh, HBK because Sean is an icon who possesses ruthless aggression and also Vince is in love with him, but he doesn't say that out loud. (laughs) He says Booker won't face Kevin Nash because Nash isn't fully healed from injury just yet. Uh, (laughs) Which is a bit interesting because Nash was written off with a suspension, not an injury, so they've kind of broken cave. Oh yeah, they retconned that, didn't they? Hmm. I forgot about that one, yeah. Um... He does say that if Kev doesn't live up to expectations, he'll be joining Scott Hall in the unemployment yeah. line. Little bit, cunty. Yeah, I didn't feel like Nash was expecting that. That no. felt unscripted. Bit just, pointed. Just from the look of his reaction as much as anything else, because as you say, he is quite a, a cool customer most of the time. Mm. He, he looked quite pissed off, like <laughs> legitimately pissed off at that statement, which I thought was quite weird. I, I wouldn't have blamed him for being pissed. I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, we've covered it on this show. Hall's dismissal was his own doing, really, oh, but yeah, at the same time, it's kind of a cheap shot to have a pop at Nash. Uh, instead, then, Vince books a match between Booker T and Goldust against X-Pac and Big Show with Nash and Sean barred from ringside. It's the barred from ringside episode of Raw. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> 
Booker T says he can dig that, sucker. <laughs> then he does a spin a Rooney. It is good. Oh, small thing, but well, not a small thing, but I just made a note watching this. They wasted Booker T, didn't they? He's oh, so over. Yeah. So He's over. incredibly over. He's one of these it's kind of like Scotty Too Hotty. You give him a funny dance move, and all of a sudden everyone wants to see the see him perform. And like Booker is as a performer, as an actual in-ring wrestler, he's one of the, the best ever. Yeah. yeah I think in, in terms of like the American style, Booker's mm. like, Booker should be on like anyone's top 20 all-time American wrestlers easily. Yeah, and I think this is what like probably his hottest period in the WWE mm. as well. You know, like he, he's... I mean, you could probably, you know, you could argue the run up to that WrestleMania yeah. as well. But like, I think, I think it's similar in both cases. He, he's just so over here. I couldn't believe how hot the crowd was. They They're into all these catchphrases and everything. They want this guy to be a top guy. I don't know how they. Well, I do know how they squandered it. But like, you, <laughs> you, you do kind of sit there and you just go like, how, how did they miss this? It's so obvious at a time where they were really looking for. Someone new to step up as well. It seems so obvious. See, this you know, is really... this is the thing because like this promo, it it has a couple of purposes. First of all, officially we have a, a new name for this period of company history. The Attitude Era is long gone. That's dead and buried. Uh, long, you know, the king is dead. Long live the king. Um, we are now officially both feet in the ruthless aggression era vince is publicly here saying we are taking a new direction there will be new superstars and the message is loud and clear austin is gone the rock has one foot out of the door it's time to step up and prove you can carry the company Mm. and here is a guy in the middle of the ring who probably could have stepped into that role and they fumbled it absolutely absolutely they were ready the crowd were ready for him at this point and then they just they bungled so many opportunities to do it. I think they just gave up caring at that yeah. point. But that's not to say, of course, the rest of his 2002 won't be a significant improvement over what was yet to come in 03. Oh, yeah, he has, a, he has a very good 2002. It's a very good year for him, followed by... Anyway. <laughs> so, fun, fun little fact. Um, of the people assembled at ringside, there are a minimum... Uh, or, and you know, I, I say that obviously because I can't future-proof this entirely, there are a minimum of four future world champions and six Hall of Fame inductees just stood around the ring. That's not including stood around the, the ring, NWO. Because the, wow. NW, the NWO is like the whole... Sean, Nash, X-Park, they're all in there. Big Show will be one day. Yeah. So if you want to include them, there's ten. So Wow. That's to say nothing of the SmackDown roster as well, because we've got plenty of Hall of Famers, World Champions, <laughs> future inductees for both. So, in a way, this speech kind of does light the fire underneath mm. a few backsides here. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. It really is a, as you say, it really is a watershed moment in mm. like the way they've built the eras here, and it, it's quite interesting because, as you say. A lot of these people, I'm actually looking a bit more carefully now, and I can see exactly what you mean. There are people here that go on to be, you know, megastars, really, when, yeah. they, when they were nowhere near that at this time. And then you've got Raven randomly dressed like, I don't even know what the <laughs> hell he's supposed to look like. He keeps standing out to me every time I watch this segment. He's got some sort of fur coat on. He looks absolutely It's, it's very strange. <laughs> Raven's got a couple of really iconic looks. This is not one of them. <laughs> and I think that's for good reason. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, after the break, we have uh, a little tag team match to kick things off. We have Bradshaw and Spike Dudley, that's an unusual tag team, taking on <laughs> William Regal and the recently debuted Christopher Nowinski, Mr. Harvard. Oh, yes. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler has Nowinski's Harvard yearbook. Um, and he's flipping through that, and as we focus the camera on King, we miss Spike flipping onto the heels and crashing to the ground. Great camera work, Kevin Dunn. Thank you. <laughs> so, the match begins. Bradshaw beats the absolute shit out of Chris, and chances are he was laying those hits in. I imagine so, yeah. It certainly <laughs> looked like it. Uh, fall away slam. Uh, from Bradshaw sees Chris absolutely tossed across the ring. Spike ta- gets tagged in, and then King has a bizarre line where he says that Spike is so small he should be wrestling embryos. What? <laughs> what? I didn't catch that one at the time. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, okay. But Lawler is somewhere else for most of this broadcast. I oh, know. he absolutely. Is. <laughs> I don't quite know what was going on with him. <laughs> Um, uh, but it, it does have the added bonus of making JR extra grumpy, which is quite funny at this, at yes. this time. Yes. There's, there's a little exchange about Harvard. And, and it, it, the thing with JR, it always feels legitimate. I think that's his strength <laughs> as a commentator. But he's like, yeah, okay, you went to Harvard. Does he need to go on about it every week? It's like he's like he's projecting his actual thoughts on Chris Lewinsky to oh, the audience. Does he, need, does he need to go on about Harvard every week? Anyway, Oklahoma, fucking amazing <laughs> university. Oh, and he mentions uh, Bradshaw going to Abilene Christian, and Jerry Lawler has a Bobby Heenan-like reaction to this, where he's like, (laughs) Abilene Christian, what the hell is that? You know the bit where um, in WCW, when I think it's Shivani mentions Jim Duggan going to college. Oh, and Brain just pisses himself for like (laughs) six minutes straight. So good. very similar to that to me for some reason. It (laughs) It just triggered that memory in my head. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, it was strange. Oh, that's an incredible! If you if you haven't seen that clip, listeners, you need to check it out. It, I don't know what you'd have to search for on YouTube, but just look for uh, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heen, and Jim Duggan. You'll find it. It's, it's yeah, gold. it's brilliant. If you need cheering up, Bobby Heenan laughing for like seven minutes is just it's it's a. It's a medicine for a rainy day, I can tell you. <laughs> we get some fun little uh, heel double teaming on Spike. Uh, who, of course, is the master of being beaten up by bigger guys. Mm. He manages to get free, tags in Bradshaw. Uh, Bradshaw smacks the heels about a little bit. Uh, clearly, he has great, tremendous respect for William Regal, and less so for Chris Nowinski, because he's <laughs> definitely not laying it in on Regal, but he's knocking the <laughs> fuck out of Chris. <laughs> Poor bugger. Uh, Spike goes to the Dudley Dog on Regal. Regal tosses him out of the ring, which is a great counter to that move. Uh, Bradshaw, however, gives Regal the clothesline from hell, but Nowinski sneaks in and rolls Bradshaw up, grabbing the tights for the three in two minutes 46. Um, quick match. Yeah, very quick. quick. Um, my notes for this one are what the fuck lol. <laughs> yeah, I think mine was similar. I also wrote down, was that Nowinski's finish? I don't recall ever seeing him do anything else to end the match. Uh, he what... does get the honour roll later. Does he? Does mm. he? I, I couldn't remember if that was the honour roll. That's a sort um, of double underhook suplex right. slam thing. That's about the time he starts going on about taking Molly Holly's virginity. Oh no. Another classic <laughs> WWE storyline. <laughs> 
I, I watch some of this stuff and I'm like, he saved lives, he saved lives, he saved lives. Ignore all That's this. That's a mad thing, yeah. Like, it's crazy what he turned out mm. career-wise, you know. I'm not sure how far he ever could have gone with this character and the way that they were trying to make it. I, it works to an extent, yeah. but it's like mid-card at best. I, I, I think there's a ceiling on, on Harvard Chris, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. it, it's fine. You know, it's a good little mid-card act. It's it's not bad. It's not unenjoyable. But yeah, he's never going to hit the main event with a gimmick like this. This was like the longest camera shot ever of him smiling after he won the match. <laughs> they keep the camera on him. It felt like for about two and a half minutes. I was like, what? He's is he just happy to be like, here, what's... folks. <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on? Uh, perfectly serviceable opener, but, you know, 2 minutes 46, what what can you achieve in that time? Mm, you can't do a lot in that time, can you? No. So we head backstage where Vince is talking to Sergeant Slaughter, of all people. Yeah, what the fuck was he doing here? Like, he just came out of nowhere. He was taking a break from stealing people's valour. Um, <laughs> I just thought you'd have a little chat with his boss. Uh, Vince tells Sarge he's going to thin the herd, starting with Tommy Dreamer and Raven, who'll be having a match and the loser will never appear again on Raw, which yeah. must have come as a surprise to both of those men when they saw the run sheet for this episode. Yeah, it certainly came, this was the bit I was talking about that I didn't remember at all, and I know why now, because they gave it about 35 seconds build-up, like he literally just announces it. Did, did they even know that was going to happen at this point? I think it is designed, well, we'll talk about it when we come on to the match, mm. but I think I think Raven did try and make something out of this angle, if I remember correctly. Mm. Uh, but it was still very <laughs> abruptly sort of delivered. Like, oh, yeah, God, yeah. Gonna get rid of one of these fucking... <laughs> By the way, okay. these low-card pricks are pissing me off. <laughs> one of them's got to go, Sarge. Uh, but that's not even that's not the, that's not important. None of, none of that makes if, who get, who cares? Because here comes Jackie Gator wearing a flasher overcoat. Yeah, uh, Vince says he's going to put Jackie in a match, teaming up with Molly against Trish and Linda Miles. Mm. Um, and no, listeners, this is not. That Jackie Gator. <laughs> no, match. it's a Jackie Gator mm. match, but it isn't that one. <laughs> we will, don't you worry, we'll be covering that Jackie Gator match. I have I have a confession to make here. Mm-hmm. Until he until he said it was a tag match and he was gonna involve the other winner of Tough Enough Linda Miles, I actually thought this was Sable. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I just I, I just I didn't realise it was Jackie Gator. Clearly I forgot who Jackie Gator was. The future Mrs. Lesnar? <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote down in the notes <laughs> M- Mrs. Lesnar and then I went, No wait, who the f I don't know it's Jackie Gator. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Jackie has been wiped from all our collective memories. <laughs> And that's the way that WWE would probably like it, to be fair. Yeah, I imagine so. Okay, here... Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to have to say this next sentence. Jackie says she'll be taking the Golden Thong Award at the lingerie <laughs> contest. And to prove it, she gets undressed to her undies. Mm. Speaking of undie, here's the big evil red devil. <laughs> Listen, I've not afforded very many opportunities for a, a gag like that. I like that. That was well played. Uh, Jackie takes her leave, and Undertaker expresses his grievances with The Rock. He isn't happy with The Rock interfering in his match the previous night at King of the Ring. Uh, important note, Undertaker started that fight. <laughs> Small brain, Red Devil. Uh, Undertaker says, since Vince is looking for new stars, he's going to make Jeff Hardy famous. 
<laughs> which kind of becomes his catchphrase uh, it for does, this next yeah. couple uh, couple of months here. I, I'll I'll make you famous, or I'm going to make you famous. He used it quite a lot, didn't he? For mm. probably about a year year or two, really. I kind of like it because I, I I like what it sort of implies. Like stepping into the ring with Undertaker is a star making thing. That's cool, yeah. and it has been to a certain extent for a lot of people generally in, in this time frame. Uh, DDP aside, <laughs> no. It, I tell you what, though, it's definitely going to pan out for Jeff, and we'll be covering oh, yeah. more of that in an, uh, an upcoming episode. We have yeah, an that, that extremely was popular match with Jeff and Undertaker to look forward to, but not the one they'll be having on this episode. No, this Sorry, guys. This is a different match, guys. <laughs> mm. uh, speaking of different matches, here's Bubba Ray Dudley. Uh, heading out to the ring for his match against Eddie Guerrero. And for absolutely no reason, Bubba makes a beeline for poor Lillian Garcia and scares the dog crap out of her yeah. before she can even get his name out. Uh, Bubba sets up a table at ringside. Backstage, Eddie says he isn't intimidated by a table. He, <laughs> Which is a bit of a strange thing to say because he can't possibly have seen Bubba set it up. There's no monitor anywhere near him. <laughs> For the second night in a row, Terry Runnels almost explodes trying not to laugh as Eddie goes fucking mental. Uh, he promises that he'll be the brightest star in WWE. <laughs> like that could ever happen. Oh, imagine. I mean, this th- this is beautifully unhinged from Eddie. I don't know where the hell this came from. <laughs> like, I was, I was, I was, I don't think I even made a note. I was nonplussed throughout the entire promo. I couldn't understand where the hell it came from. It, it was a sign of things to come in a lot of ways. It's, oh, God, yeah. It's an excellent promo, but I think if I'd been seeing it at that time, Knowing Eddie is like the mid card guy that he had been up to this point, I'm like, where the hell? Who the hell is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> where, where did this come from? You would you wouldn't expect this. I, I, and again, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, he did a very similar over the top promo at King of the Ring the night before, and I think in a way this was kind of Eddie saying, "Well, look, Austin's gone. You were going to pair me with Austin, so I'm willing to step up to Austin's level." Yeah, I feel like lots of people forget that. You know, yeah. like Austin actually asked to be paired with him, didn't he? As well. Yes. That, that, that was the. Uh, he obviously saw something that a, a few people didn't at mm. the time. And all yeah. I can say is thank God they eventually did. Mm, definitely. Yeah, oh, the rise of Eddie class. Guerrero, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited for that one. <laughs> uh, little note on commentary JR and King tell us that Triple H will be undergoing surgery on his elbow. Uh, which will uh, keep him out of action for not very long, I don't think. Actually. I don't remember that at all. He's so right on that. Wasn't that at all. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, yeah, Must have been very minimal surgery needed there. Mm. Uh, the match begins as Eddie hits the ring with Bubba slamming the fuck out of him. Um, <laughs> this is a complete mismatch, and I think it really works. Eddie gets to do all speedy lucha stuff. Bubba just cunts him across the ring. It's great. <laughs> Uh, Bubba goes for the table, Eddie says no thank you and stops him, grabs Bubba, who attempts a Bubba bomb, but Eddie rolls through and grabs the tights for the win in a lightning fashion at Again, one, mi- one minute. short match, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, this is bizarre, because you think, what are they saving all this time for? Uh, it becomes relatively obvious later on, but like, yes. yeah... It- it's odd, because at this point we've had two matches that have gone about four minutes combined. Yeah. Uh, Eddie attacks Bubba after the match and brings the table into the ring. Unfortunately, before Eddie can set it up once more, Bubba has gotten to his feet, and mere moments later, Eddie turns around into a huge powerbomb through the table. But 
Bubba doesn't have time to celebrate, as Benoit is back and puts Bubba in the yeah. cripple across face. I didn't remember that either. No, um, I genuinely don't recall where this goes. No. <laughs> I, I don't think... I don't know, actually. They may have done some stuff... Yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what happens on future episodes. Mm. I don't have much memory of this. I remember them both coming out to attack Austin at some point. Uh, to be honest, I, uh, one minute of match, I would have loved to see more of this because I thought they were doing some interesting stuff with the it was good the, yeah. the dynamic they had. So a bit of a shame, but oh well, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah. Coming soon, small WCW man. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder who it could possibly be. Mm. Um, that's that's another guy who I'm really excited to see because yeah. we do these episodes. We're going to get so much good stuff. It's Rey Mysterio, and for, for the purpose of anyone who can't piece together what I'm saying, um, <laughs> the, the first recent... like, six twelve months of that uh, with Rey are just brilliant. They do so oh, much good stuff for them, and he's, he's, he's so good at that point as well. He's going to be such a good fit for. Pretty much everything he does over the next... A surprisingly good fit as well. Mm. I think there was a lot of people at the time who were kind of like, what the hell are they going to do with him? Because it's not a place where cruiserweights normally you know, succeed. I think it shows the change of style at the time, actually. Absolutely. Kind of fit in, so... Absolutely. And, of course, Rey Mysterio, recent inductee to the WWE Hall of Fame, so I think it worked out okay. It certainly did. It certainly did. And, of course, father of future WWE Hall of Famer, Dominic Mysterio. (laughs) Well, you never know. He's off to a hell of a start. He's he's doing all right, is Dom. I quite like the stuff he's been up to. I'm enjoying it, yeah. It's good fun. Backstage, Goldust is dressed as Steve Irwin. <laughs> um, crikey. Yeah, this is very 2002. Yes. I, I don't I don't know that you could play this segment now and have anyone understand what the hell is going on. The, this has aged very poorly if you weren't around at the time. Uh, that's all <laughs> I can really say. Like it you you might you know you might be aware of the work that Steve Irwin has done, but if you're on the younger end of things, I don't think there's any sort of impressing on folks that he was a kind of a mega star at this time in the real Yeah, world. I mean, I didn't actually think he was that big a star in the US, so this surprised mm. me. I don't, you know, like that that struck me as a bit odd. It was like, oh, he's big over there too. Okay, I guess that that makes sense in a way. For uh, for anyone that uh, isn't aware, Steve Irwin uh, rose to fame on a show called The Crocodile Hunter, where he'd go around the Australian outback in search of dangerous animals, particularly crocodiles, um, generally wrestle them to the ground just so the camera could get in close and they'd go, yeah, it's a beauty, this one. It's good <laughs> shit. It's fucking amazing. Like, I'm making it sound way worse than it is. Um, also, it, famously, uh, you know, a, a big proponent of conservationism. His legacy is uh, the zoo uh, that he ran in Australia still stands to this day, which is run by, I believe his daughter is actually. Yeah, I think, it, it I think it's Bindi daughter. that's running it now. So, you know, his legacy carries on. Um Sadly missed in the world of TV entertainment, I think. Mm. Yeah, so, very excited for the time period, definitely. Very fond of South Park's sending up of him. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sneak up on him, and then I'm going to stick my thumb in his butthole. <laughs> oh, he's really pissed off now. <laughs> so, Goldust then, dressed as the Crocodile Hunter, sneaks into the NWO locker room, where he finds Big Show taking a nap. Uh, Goldust says Big Show smells. 
X-Punk comes back from doing a toilet, and Goldust says he's a rare bandana-wearing grease rat. <laughs> grease rat. <laughs> but he must be careful, as they tend to suck. Um, X-Punk gives chase, and Big Show, in his sleep, says, Cheeseburger. <laughs> Thus yeah. preempting Ring of Honor legend Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger, yeah. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, Matt Hardy mumbles so quietly he's completely inaudible. Oh my god, I don't even have a note on this promo because I have no idea what he said. Like, I haven't what? got clue number one. I, I couldn't hear. I don't know whether it was the cameras or whether it was just Matt doing his usual mumbly kind of delivery. Uh, either way, Jeff says he'll be a star or die trying, and that's. Mm. I I don't know. I I feel like this is an example in micro of why the WWE went with Jeff and not with Matt, unfortunately. Yeah, and I Matt, I always liked Matt. He was always my favorite of the two, and I know I'm in the minority on that one. I think I preferred Matt in the ring, but mm. as you say, as a character, he never really couldn't quite put it together. I do. Uh, it's not a nice thing to say, and ultimately, it's Jeff, Jeff's problem too. But like, I do wonder if the accent had something to do with it because I have a great deal of trouble understanding what he says. It, it's like it's a very thick accent they've both got. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And and of course, that will have done them no favors in Vince McMahon's WWE because <laughs> Vince hates Southern accents. Yeah, I think, so... well, I think they're from North Carolina, right? And I'm fairly yes. sure. That's where Vince grew up as well. So yeah, I, I can't imagine that was hugely popular given no. that he hates his upbringing. So mm, exactly, I can't, can't imagine that helped. Meanwhile, X Pac chases Gold Dust down the corridor, <laughs> only for Booker T to catch him unawares and beat him in the face with a serving tray. <laughs> and then we have a truly fucking incredible delivery from Booker, who leans over the now unconscious X-Pac and calls him a kangaroo koala jive wombat sucker. <laughs> Which might be my new favourite insult. Yeah, it's a bit long-winded, but I like it, yeah. Yeah, I wrote down... Uh, X-Pac falls for the WWE Raw on Xbox trap. You know, you could accidentally set traps for everyone backstage. And it went like one out of every 5,000 times. Dro- dropping a fucking crate on their head like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> okay, then up next, we have that highly promoted and highly anticipated contest between Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Uh, and of course, the loser will leave Raw. Um, uh, we start things yeah. off, and Tommy Dreamer dribbles. <laughs> uh, he he's at it again, viewers. He's at it again. Raven takes control of the match, stomping away at Dreamer, and then clotheslines him down. Uh, innovative little face crusher by Raven, using his knee behind Dreamer's head in the corner to bring him to the floor, which is kind of cool. Uh, Dreamer gets a two off a power slam, and then another two off a neck breaker. Raven ducks a charge in the corner, and Tommy hits the ring post with his shoulder. Raven goes for the Raven effect, or even flow if you're an old-school aficionado. Uh, But Dreamer counters it with a Dreamer DDT for a two. Tommy goes for a Death Valley Driver. Raven counters with a reverse DDT for a two of his own. Dreamer then hits the Death Valley Driver and picks up the win at just two minutes 24. Another quick one. Yeah, this is a tough watch. Not because the match was bad... I think I thought two things watching this. One, the crowd does not give a single shiny shit about no. either one of them. No, which, no. Is, a, which is a pity, really. Because you think about probably, what are we, 2002? Mm. Probably two years prior to this, 
ECW could have put the same match on with the same result, and it would have got absolutely gangbusters. The, the crowd would have been insane for it in ECW. Mm. If this had got, like, I don't know, 18 minutes in an ECW ring, this would have blown the roof off. It just goes to show how, well, they always say Heyman was good at emphasising the strengths and hiding the weaknesses. I mm. feel like that's shown by this as much as anything because they've just kind of thrown these two out here and they, 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 they've no chance, basically. I don't even know what the point of this was, really. I know it starts a bit of an angle with Raven that never gets finished. The uh, I think he's talked about it in interviews, the Seven Deadly Sins angle, mm. um, which he starts on heat, but it just doesn't go anywhere, as is typical of. <laughs> you've got to love that you'll never be on Raw again but you've still got to tour with us so we can record your matches yeah, for Heat yeah you've still got to be on Heat which is in the same building every, <laughs> every week um, that's upsetting Tommy Dreamer then, he's making a habit of fucking raving off <laughs> yeah actually yeah he holds two wins over Raven in a loser leaves match which is uh, not a bad record yeah. to have although do they do anything with Dreamer after this I don't recall him I not really. I mean, the the gross out thing is pretty short lived. I think people were pretty, you know, not into it. He's back to job in in relatively short order. I don't think un- until we get uh, like the one night stand stuff in two thousand and five. I don't think Dream has ever mm. particularly made a focal point of the show ever again. Really, after this gimmick farts off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame in one way, but like I can also see that in normal circumstances, if they hadn't brought ECW into the invasion and such, I don't think they would have gone near Dreamer. He's not got no. the physique or anything oh, no. that they look for. Raven possibly, but he has yeah. his own issues with Vince that are somewhat well documented. Mm. You know, who the fuck hired Raven and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So I, I, it's a shame, really. It's two quite talented people, but I just got the feeling of complete indifference from pretty much everyone that was involved. Yeah. <laughs> in this angle, it's a shame. Two, two guys who, as you say, they never stood a chance in this company, unfortunately, for one reason or another. Uh, and unfortunately, this match never stood a chance either because the crowd were not into it. As you said, they, they couldn't give a shit. And why? when you look at the booking that these two have had over the last 18 months, why would they? <laughs> yeah, it's you like know? we're just going to throw these two randoms out here. And by the way, if one of them loses, we're getting rid of them permanently. Okay, fair yeah, it's like, All right, yeah. <laughs> See you, mate. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like if it was, I don't know. Uh, Rob Van Dam versus Brock Lesnar. If we got that as a rematch, loser leaves raw. People would care. Yeah, yeah. But, I think this is yeah. emblematic of the booking a little bit at the time because we know Austin walks out because, well, in part because of he's not happy with how a match potential match with Lesnar's been mm. built up and all these kind of things. And I think it does kind of show that short sightedness. The amount of times they just randomly threw things on television. This definitely feels like the era of the. Last minute rewrite, which would continue for the next twenty years. Jeez, yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Raven is escorted out by security, we go backstage once more, where we see the huge shadow of Brock Lesnar. Uh, <laughs> Paul Heyman tells Brock that it's time to address His Majesty's people. Um, Raven, meanwhile, is thrown out of the building, <laughs> which is quite funny. Uh, even funnier is the fact that outside, Matt Hardy's waiting for him and beats the fuck out of him for payback yeah. for uh, what Raven did to the Hardys the previous week. So that's yeah. a nice little bit of karma. 
It was that was I don't I didn't remember that. That 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 stuck out. What what I saw in the replay as well is that Raven is obviously walking towards what is his car, which is what Matt has <laughs> sat on. Yeah. And the headlights are on. So who the hell's turned the headlights on in the car? <laughs> He's just a forgetful guy. He just left them on as he came in. I like the idea that Raven would be stuck in the arena for the next three hours because his battery's flat. <laughs> <laughs> just really awkwardly has to ask Vince for a jump, please. Uh, back in the ring then Jim Ross stands with Paul Heyman uh, JR says Brock will not receive a crown or a trophy which is good as that would have killed him stone dead uh, JR reiterates that Brock will instead receive a WWE Championship match at SummerSlam which is a fucking brilliant idea and I don't know why it took them until literally the last King of the Ring to come up with a prize that made sense uh, Heyman takes credit for the prize saying it was his idea stating it was all part of his plan. He introduces Brock, and out the big lad comes. Heyman says Brock is the answer to all of Vince's questions, saying nobody wants it more than Brock Lesnar. No man has greater desire to succeed, greater hunger for competition, craving to advance, and the need, the obsession, the compulsion to be a champion more than Brock. Lesnar. Got into it there. Uh, Heyman tells the crowd he'd like them to applaud Brock, but uh, they're all much happier when Rob Van Dam hits the ring and sends Brock packing with a flurry of martial arts moves. Brock is about ready to rip Rob's head off, but Heyman gets him under control, clearly already formulating a plan. Um, to wit, after the ad break in Vince's office, Heyman impresses upon Vince that RVD screwed up Brock's coronation on Vince's show. Heyman tries to get Vince to give Brock a championship match tonight, saying Brock should have a match with RVD for the Intercontinental Championship. Vince is interested in the idea and acquiesces, so that is your main event. Mm, this is and it's a really good match too. Mm. I, I, I enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to talking about that one later. Uh, always good to have Paul Heyman do a promo. I mean, here again, oh, yeah. twenty years later, nothing much has changed. He's still an amazing mouthpiece. Be that for <laughs> Brock or Roman Reigns or whoever you want to pair him with, one of the best yeah. talkers in the business. I mean, there's very few people that he's failed to get over, and in most cases, it's not been his fault if it hasn't got over. So I, I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's entirely his fault that Curtis Axel didn't get over. <laughs> He's the son of Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Then why is his surname different? Yeah, why are you calling him McGillicuddy? What are you talking about? This week? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he keeps changing his last name as well. Is he suffering some sort of identity crisis? He, like, he, and to be fair, he fucking killed himself with uh, the, the Genesis oh, McGillicuddy <laughs> Yeah, I think that was when they went, yeah, you know what? Give him a manager. And don't <laughs> let him ever speak again. <laughs> Joe, you wanted to know why we won't call you Hennig? Well, there's your answer, pal. <laughs> Uh, we get a little recap of Jeff Hardy's recent antics as we uh, lead into his match with The Undertaker. And honestly, this kind of feels like it should have been on pay-per-view. Um, mm. I don't know, maybe that was the original plan. And again, you know, we will be building up to more things with these two, so who knows. But the fact we've got a, we, yeah, we got a recap video here. This is, this is odd that we're getting a recap video on Raw, not a pay-per-view. But... Mm. Um, Undertaker just tosses Jeff about like he's nothing here. Um, front power slam for a two count for Taker. Jeff tries to battle back in, but Taker cuts him off, gives him a big boot. Uh, goes for the uh, apron leg drop, but Jeff evades it. 
throws himself at Taker with a crossbody over the ropes, which was uh, always exciting to see. Jeff runs along the barricade, leaps over Taker's bike, and gets caught in a chokeslam. Very cool yeah. sequence. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool spot. I didn't see that Felt one. Felt like yeah. some shit out of wrestling empire just like cutting you know, <laughs> sticking moves together only if the bike could set on fire <laughs> back in the ring jeff's woozy undertaker picks him up for a spine shattering last ride and a near effortless three count at two minutes 42 seconds and undertaker doesn't seem all that impressed with himself after the match yeah, it was an odd one, that wasn't hmm. it? I think, like, because we are, we are kind of setting, we're, we're kind of setting the table a little bit for Undertaker's whole thing being not just, you know, shoving people around and demanding their respect, but actually him gaining a little mutual respect. So I think him being disappointed in Jeff kind of works in that regard. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this true. this one was kind of nothing, but it works more for storyline purposes because Jeff grabs a mic, uh, and as he's laying in the ring, he tells Taker he's beaten his ass time and time again, but they aren't done. He wants a match for the undisputed WWE Championship next week on Raw. Jeff doesn't want a regular match, though. He wants a ladder match. Undertaker seems intrigued and says, so be it. And ladies <laughs> and gentlemen... Oh my goodness! What a match! Yeah, that um, was that was super. We'll we'll be covering that it. one. Don't you worry. Yeah, but I, it's funny you mentioned the, the storyline stuff there. The way they do this is actually really subtle, more subtle than you usually get with WWE. Mm. Like normally they're beating you over the head if somebody's about to turn back face or or you know slightly more face than Undertaker is right yeah. now. But they're not really doing that here. I, I wouldn't have guessed it in a week's time. What transpires, transpires. No, you know they 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 did it very subtly and very well. I thought. Yes, definitely slow burn stuff with Taker here, and I think it it pays off and it works. And it it once he does make that turn, I it it informs how he'll be playing that character until uh, early two thousand four. Really. Alrighty, so we have another little ad break, and when we come back, it's time for tag team action with Trish Stratus and Linda Miles teaming up against Molly Holly and Jackie Gator. And Molly gets on the mic and says it's an honour to bring dignity back to the WWE <laughs> Women's Championship by earning it and not oh. sleeping her way to the top. Oh. <laughs> Trish takes the mic and says she worked to get where she is. She says she felt bad for making fun of Molly, but if Molly's going to keep cheating to win, she'll be happy to kick her... Uh, well, you all know the punchline here. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about this this insufferable part of the story. There aren't many things that can make me dislike Trish Stratus, but that <laughs> having to do this constant Molly Holly as a fat ass thing is mm. definitely uh, definitely up there. And Jerry Lawler, by the way, is insufferable. He's fucking this horrible. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's nothing good about this segment uh, other than maybe one or two bits. It's sponsored by a terrible wrestling game. That I had on the GameCube. That WrestleMania like 18. I think you'll I find would... you mean an excellent wrestling game. <laughs> I would like to sue for false advertising. <laughs> um, Molly Holly, to be fair, cuts a very good promo, and she is really, really good. Um, Jackie Gator and Linda Miles. Why did they push these guys on TV so early? They're clearly not ready for it. I'm not like it's astonishing. They are right off the tough enough win, and they're absolutely not fucking ready. 
No, no, no. It's in a way, it's a pity because you, Linda Miles actually in this match hits a couple of decent moves, and you think oh, there is some athletic potential there, mm. but like it's so early, like. They barely know what wrestling is at this point. You know, I, being... I think they were hoping for the second coming of Maven. Because Maven won Tough Enough 1, and he, he had incredible aptitude and was immediately... He was good. He, he was, was solid, solid in the ring, you know? he Don't get me wrong, he, you know, the stuff he was doing was still comparatively quite basic, but he got it. So with he, Maven, they were able to keep him on TV relatively soon after And let him develop win, on TV. And, you know, off-screen, he's also doing stuff down at OVW. Whereas with these two, it's... Lin, Linda's a great athlete, you know, and, and that's covered in Tough Enough. Um... Which, by the way, eventually we will be covering on the Patreon. So good, you know, I look forward to that. <laughs> Linda's a great athlete, but I haven't. I don't think there's any indicator that she's a great wrestler. She's no. kind of uh, a blank slate, so to speak, and mm. that's fine. But at the same time, it doesn't make for a particularly interesting match at this stage in her career. Jackie. I think, with the benefit of hindsight, and as much as I'm sure she's a lovely, lovely lass, Jackie almost certainly got the job for her looks because this was the look <laughs> they were after. And I don't, oh, yeah. I don't want to sound demeaning as I say that, but unfortunately, guys, this is 2002 WWE. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that's the reality of it. They wanted yeah. beautiful blondes, and Jackie gave them that. And yeah, she is very, she is very, very pretty. Like, sure. more, more than I remember, to be honest. Like I, I don't remember that much about it. When you, when you hear Jackie Gady, you tend to think of that one match, yeah, and not a great deal else. And Which is I, uh, precisely why we won't be having very much Jackie Gader on this show because they realise, <laughs> oh shit, we really should have sent her to OVW. Uh, let's never book her in a match ever again. She has um, like two matches after yeah. this point. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe mm. two. Yeah. Can you imagine the fucking aneurysm Jim Cornette had when those two turned up in OVW? Oh, my God. I, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall that day. In fairness, I've heard him talk about Linda Miles, and he, for Cornette, he has, he's been relatively complimentary, saying hmm. she was a good athlete. She just didn't really want to train hard enough to be a wrestler. I don't think no. he has much good to say about Jackie Gaynor. Well, I don't <laughs> think it's much of a spoiler to say that Jackie will be... Um, she'll be a, a valet for most of hmm. her tenure. And... I guess if they hired her based on her looks, then that is probably the best use for her, in fairness. Exactly, yeah, yeah. you got to get um, the most out of what you've got, really. And, you know, she got two children out of it, so fair's fair, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, rapid tags in the early going in this one. Nothing particularly exciting going on here with the world's longest sustained arm ringer on Jackie. Um, and, my God, oh, pity God. Molly, the only fully experienced worker in this match with She's the weight so of the good, championship in addition to having to babysit the rookies and help, you know, Trish sort of build up the in-ring skills they're wanting her to develop. Mm, she's so good as well. Like, I I have a lot of time for Molly Holly. Yeah, she's she's really really good. Uh, I think you realise that more watching it now. I certainly realise oh God, it yeah. more watching it now than I did at the time. She she's really really good. Absolutely. Uh, play, a playable character in WWE 2K23, Molly Holly. <laughs> ah, do you know what? Honestly, finding out there's three versions of Molly Holly in that game. Oh, that made my that made my little ruthless aggression heart happy. It did. <laughs> uh, Molly and Jackie choke Linda. Linda manages to roll Molly up for a two snap suplex from Molly. Leaves Linda prone. Jackie climbs the ropes. 
Belinda gets to her feet and crotches uh, Jackie, then tags in Trish. Uh, as Jackie's on the top rope, Trish goes for the stratosphere and gets a two, but Molly breaks the cover. Tr- uh, we get a chick kick from Trish. I that, That's a surprisingly difficult combination of words to say. Chick, <laughs> chick kick, Trish. Uh, uh, that gets her a two, but Jackie breaks uh, the cover up. Uh, Linda tosses Jackie at the ring as Molly goes for the handspring back elbow, only to miss and walk into a stratisfaction to pick up the three count at four minutes 44, the longest match of the night so far. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was watching it. I was like, this is going longer than the, than the other matches did. What what the hell? Yeah, it's a strange one, that, isn't it? I, I wouldn't have predicted this to go the longest of all the matches so far. That's... Uh... Definitely an odd one. This must have been stressful as hell for Molly, to be honest. Having to like constantly be like, "Oh my god, the rookies! They are they are small, tiny babies. They must be protected." <laughs> we have a, a funny little bit that I quite liked at ringside. Uh, King is reading Raw magazine, and the front cover is a picture of Tori Wilson in a swimsuit. We'll be covering this in uh, an upcoming Patreon episode, uh, covering the second little chunk of magazines from O2. Um, and King's sitting there squeaking about how great the magazine is with this Tory Wilson swimsuit cover. And the camera moves in and King's actually reading an article about himself, which I thought was a funny little punchline. <laughs> like, just flipping it on his head because he's usually the pervert. It's like, just I for once. Like that, yeah. He's all, like you know, a bit of restraint. Backstage then... Jonathan Coachman talks to Rob Van Dam. Heyman comes in and starts squawking. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Um, As Heyman rants, Brock finally speaks. He's not said a word since his debut, and he tells Heyman to shut up. Brock gets in Rob's face and tells him he's going to show RVD the meaning of ruthless aggression. So yes, Brooke, Brooke Lesnar has now spoken, um, and I think it becomes pretty clear why he did not speak before now. <laughs> yeah, this, you can definitely see that. Possibly the scariest dude on the planet. I he If you told me Brock Lesnar could beat up any fucker alive, I'd be willing to believe you. But he's so softly spoken in this quiet little voice... <laughs> And it it's never matched the way he looks. No, he's got Mike Tyson syndrome. Yeah, hasn't he? He, he, he sounds nothing like his intimidating. Uh, yeah, self and I love Brock. I do. He's I I genuinely think he's one of the all time greats. Particularly mm. in this first run, he's so exciting to watch for this first two years of his wrestling career. Um, but yeah, he's never been. A talker, which is kind of a shame because he's done some good stuff over the years on the mic. But generally speaking, I think they've realised, yeah, pairing with pairing with Heyman, you're going to get better yeah. results. He's often been entertaining on the mic without meaning to be as well, which is yes. not necessarily a good thing. Uh, let, let's do this, this? <laughs> um, you know, which you know. If anyone can get away with it, it probably is Brock Lesnar. But <laughs> Who's going to tell him off? Exactly. You can see why they, they stuck him with Heyman so often. It were, It's a really good pairing as well. It could have been a disaster, in all, oh, in yeah. all honesty. It might not have worked, but it it did so much for his career. I mean, even now, it's obviously they're... Well, I think there's still a storyline estranged in, in the present yes. day, but I can't see it staying that way for much longer. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, it's a real interesting... Uh, 
Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. It always works really well um, with those two. They just have a brilliant chemistry. They do, and that that in fairness has carried over into real life as well because they are very close friends, the two of them. Mm. Um, which I always think is kind of sweet, to be fair. You know that they're, they're kind of thrown here together by by the nature of the storyline, and they've ended up having this enduring, decades long friendship, and that's <laughs> really nice. I think. You wouldn't think it either. The two no. very different personalities. No. You know, like the the fast talking New Yorker and what well, was Brock of Minnesota? I think. Yes, which is, yeah, the, the Minnesotan farm boy, bro. Yeah, which is quite a considerable difference from a New Yorker. Yeah. But there you go. You know, no, it's a cool thing, and it it's cool that it's endured so long that we're still talking about it in twenty twenty three. This is now twenty one years ago. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, I mean. Man. I feel old, thanks. I know, I, I do know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was a child watching this. <laughs> me too, yeah, oh, me too. Uh, we're so Maybe. old. <laughs> <sighs> Elsewhere, Kevin Nash roars at X-Park and Big Show to get the job done, or he'll kick their asses himself. <sighs> Dissension. I'm not sure about that one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So that leads into another tag match then, as Big Show and X-Pac prepare to take on Booker T and Goldust. Uh, Goldust lead the crowd, leads the crowd in a very, very, very loud X-Pac sucks chant. <laughs> Listen, they just love chanting this. This, the, this is one of those chants that will, I think, probably endure for, forever, as long as X-Pac's alive. It's just one of those chants that people love doing. I, I don't know what made the wrestling fan world hate X Pac so much, but boy, do they love Sadie Six. Oh, oh my <laughs> god! And like this is now on probably about year two, year three of them chanting X Pac sucks yeah, constantly probably. and loudly. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, like I think you know, as a kid. You, you fucking hate X-Pac. And as we've mentioned on the show before, you go back and you watch him and as, a, as an adult, and you're like, oh my God, he is so, so far ahead of the curve. It's unreal. Yeah. Like he's, obviously he came in during the new gen. He was one of the, the smaller guys, one of the younger guys. He was doing a style that WWE weren't really presenting at that time. And it's so far ahead of the curve back mm. in the early 90s. And even now... Um, well, I say now, even in in this episode in two thousand two, he's still a little bit ahead of you know of what a lot of the, the the talent were doing in terms of his in ring ability and the way that he does stuff. It's astonishing. Yeah, yeah, the rest of the talent hasn't quite caught up yet. Yeah, I mean they they considered him like the bar for a while. Like, if you couldn't have a good match uh, a good match with Xbox, you couldn't have a good match with anyone. Was pretty much <laughs> yeah. the view that they had backstage. Um. And I like, you know, I've got to say as well, and there's been a little bit of discourse around this in the last couple of days online. He's someone that I think Twitter and the social media age has been very kind to because he's been able to show he's a better person. He shows remorse oh, yeah. for the, the bad things he did in his youth. He does so much good. He spreads so much positivity. He is a good fucking dude, and I have a lot of time for him. Yeah, Sam, I, I really like him. Listen to a couple of his shoot interviews, a couple of other bits. He comes across really well. I think as well, it's interesting because you're right. I think he did have a bit of a negative reputation, mm. but I think actually of of those guys in the clique, he was actually the one that most people got along with, even in spite yeah. of everyone else being you know, difficult to deal with. And I think it kind of shows in the way that he is now as well. And I'm really pleased he's, he seems pretty, um, 
Well, he seems in pretty good health these days. Everything seems to be going his way. Yeah. So, uh, well, well deserved. He's a good, good talent and a good guy. Yeah. So it's good to see that. So uh, the match begins with Big Show immediately overpowering Booker T. Goldust whispers something in Booker's ear, and Booker seems to build up a bit of momentum as a result. I, God knows what he said to him. Um, it's immediately halted by a side slam from Show, though. Show tags in X Park, which lets Booker swing things back his way before tagging in Goldust. Goldust knocks X Park down to the corner and goes for the ever popular Bronco Buster. Uh, Manhattan drop from Goldie sets X Park up for the clothesline, and uh, she calls it the rear view. Goldust baits X-Pac into misfiring a dropkick, which was fucking brilliant. Uh, but then Show hits Goldie from behind, and the heels work over him. JR, this... Oh my god, you talk about fucking hell. You talk about <laughs> feeling old, talking about the video games. Jesus Christ. JR mentions on commentary, X-Pac isn't even 30 years old yet. What the wow. fuck? What the fucking fuck? I am See, I so would, old. I, I wouldn't even credit that. That's crazy. But having said that, just how old is he now? What is he? Yeah, he's fifty this year. So sorry, fifty last year. He'd be fifty-one in July. So wow. Because okay, he he was always the baby of the clique, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he got in the business so young, very well, young, didn't he? Which I think yeah, as, as you know, fresh-faced, clean-shaven, one, two, three kid. I think it's because you know because he is famously the beardy, long hair, greasy X-Pac. He always looks older than he is. He certainly looks older. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I would put if I was guessing, I would put his age on a par with Michael's at this point. I don't think there's much between them. Yeah. Yeah, which is yeah, it's mad really. Um but yeah, also shout out to Gold Dust in this match. These two are so good as a tag team. Oh, I don't yeah. think it lasted that long, did it? I know they did it for a little while, but I No, don't it's think it uh, it's two thousand two and done, this team, and yeah. it's one of the more memorable ones as well. this is like mm. WWE often get a lot of flack for teams that are just two guys thrown together, and this might be one of my favourite two guys <laughs> thrown together teams. Uh, that yeah, we ever got. It really was. Because you, you had a unique dynamic with them as well, with Goldust mm. being Goldust and Booker T not necessarily taking kindly to that. It was always funny and entertaining. <laughs> and if you can have if you can have an act that's funny, it's always going to be memorable in wrestling circles. Yeah, I mean people like the, the, you hear the phrase funny doesn't draw money, and it doesn't necessarily, but it does draw interest. And you can kind of build on that, can't you? Yeah. Backstage then, Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash watch on with some interest as the match continues. Uh, Show absolutely splatters Goldust, tags in X-Pac, who goes for a Bronco Buster of his own. Uh, though Goldust manages to dodge, so X-Pac lands bollocks first on the turnbuckle. <laughs> um, tags on both sides, Booker gets a particularly hot tag, ducks a clothesline from Show, who accidentally takes down X-Pac in the process, good stuff. Uh, a second clothesline finds its mark, but Booker fires up and nails a scissors kick, followed by a spinneroonie. X Park hits the ring, Booker catches him with a spine buster, tags in Goldust, and then they hit Show with a double suplex. Very cool. Uh, Booker clotheslines X Park out of the ring, Goldust gets Big Show in the corner, and goes for the Shattered Dreams. But at the last moment, Big Show catches Goldust around the neck. Lifts him up for an enormous choke slam to pick up the win at nine minutes fifty seconds. As backstage, Nash and Sean seem impressed. <laughs> yeah, they, 
I don't know what this NWO stuff would have ended up being. Obviously, for a variety of reasons, it goes off the rails. Oh, God, doesn't it? <laughs> but they clearly, they clearly had a plan for it at some point, and this felt like the first step of that. You know, yeah. Nash and HBK being presented as like the, the leaders of it, if you like, and then they're getting over. They're getting show over again as a heel, which didn't always work, you know, but he, he, he does pretty well in this match, just like the, the monster, if you like. Um, an X-Pack, as we talked about, just basically does everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's the bumper, he controls he's, the He's pace, the workhorse, absolutely. Yeah, he's, 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 he's good in this match. And, and Booker and Goldust are just brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah. Particularly Booker, they're just so hot for Booker. I just, I keep, the, the more I watch the show, the more depressed I get, because I'm just like, the, the, it was there, like you had it. Just, just make the guy a star, stop messing around. <laughs> There's a couple of, of people that fall into that category in this time period. Mm. One of them's coming up next in the, uh, uh yes. In the title. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so your main event then, ladies and gentlemen, is an intercontinental championship match with Brock Lesnar challenging champion Rob Van Dam, who most certainly another guy who a lot of people think should have uh, gotten more than he got out of the company mm. over the years. And honestly, I'm I'm pretty well one of them. It just seemed like it was right there for most of the time. From almost the day he comes in, like he comes in in 2001, part of the invasion, that and the crowd go nuts for him mm. pretty much straight off. I remember the invasion match with uh, Jeff Hardy where... I think actually he was one of the few alliance guys that was getting genuine babyface reactions because yeah. I just loved him. And it's um, it's very difficult to make Rob Van Dam a heel as well. It is, even um, though he is good at it. He is he, he is very good at it, but the problem him. is he's so exciting. You just want to cheer him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. It's Nobody it's not like in ECW where you had. Uh, Bill Alfonso at ringside being the most annoying fucking bastard in the universe <laughs> with the whistle because that's like oh yeah I hate this guy boo but in WWE it's like oh shit this guy's completely fucking unique he's amazing I must cheer him forever yeah you're exactly right and I, I yeah I don't know there are so many people that as you said as you said with Booker like Booker will be remembered as a Hall of Famer Rob Van Dam will be all of absolutely not already I can't he is yes it. thankfully yeah um, you know but like there could have been so could much been more. more. <laughs> been. Yeah, you feel, it reached, I feel like I'm going to say that a lot. It reached the point, to be honest with with me, with RVD, where I was like, okay, RVD will never be the guy. I am at terms with that. I am happy with him being like the best mid-card guy. I, yeah. I was like, do you know what? If that's his spot, that's okay. But if they put him in the main event, I won't complain. And I didn't, and it was good. (laughs) Uh, So the match begins with no time wasted as Brock immediately backs RVD into the corner with a big charge and crushes him with shoulder thrusts, which always look fucking amazing when Brock Mm, does them. And RVD sells them great as well, because I don't know how he does it, but RVD always like manages to shrink into the corner whenever anyone gives him shoulder thrusts. (laughs) He makes them look great. Um... (laughs) Brock then hurls Rob into the opposite corner, floors him with a clothesline, fires him back into the other corner, but RVD blocks him with a kick, goes for a Hurricane Rana. Uh, Brock attempts to counter with a powerbomb, but RVD counters again with a beautiful head scissors, which somehow, don't ask me how, uh, did not squash Brock's head. It looked fucking close. 
<laughs> it did. It, Brooke it really did. then powders and RVD leaps out uh, over the ropes onto him, but Brock catches him and runs him into the ring post. So, fun little opening stuff here. You know, just similar to their King of the Ring match, just boom, 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 boom. Just fire out of the gates. And it's nice to see, obviously, you know, they'd already had a match down at that point in the evening. Uh, so, you know, it's a little trickier to do a second match on a card, but here they are both fresh and we're getting to see something a little bit longer out of them. And I, I like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I really like the sort of like the clash of styles here as well. Mm. They're, they're, so, they're so different, but it, it works really well. It, um, it generates a really good... I think this is one of the best sort of... Um, Working from underneath face matches I've seen with RVD because yeah. he is constantly in peril, and he just he does it really well. And Brock is just at this point, I mean, bloody hell! Like how in wrestling terms, how green is Brock here? He can't have had a ton of matches. He's yet, probably like a year into yeah. into wrestling at this point, and he's just so naturally good. You can yeah. see why they, they were in such a rush to get the belt on him, get him over oh, and gotcha. all sorts. He was he was so so good, so so early. It's insane to think. It's it's the did. transferable skills. I mean he I, when you look at amateur wrestling in WWE, the greatest of all time are Kurt, Brock and though they don't make a fuss of it, Shelton Benjamin. Those yeah, three had true. far and away the best amateur wrestling pedigree of anyone in company history. And it transfers amazingly to pro. Yeah, it does. It does. You wouldn't really think it would. There's, there's quite a big gap between mm. the two, but it, it does seem to work. I think as well that they made it quite certainly for Lesnar. They made it really, really straightforward. It's kind of like you could do all these things. Just do those. I'm going to make you look like a monster. <laughs> yeah. And and it works perfectly. And he is just, he, he does everything right. He gets the pacing right yeah. as well, which is the other thing. The temptation when you're a monster, I guess, is to go charging into everything and like try and, but he, he, he's quite methodical with it all. I just, mm. uh, I'm, I'm always surprised how good he is when I see his matches from this era, especially because he doesn't really do matches of this length anymore. Back in the ring then, Brock continues to manhandle RVD and effortlessly slams him with all his might. Uh, he gives him a massive belly to belly founding Humble Suplex Village which will one day become a mighty city <laughs> gives Rob a double backbreaker not going for the full bane uh, RVD fights back with punches and kicks and drop kicks low to trip Brock over but Brock immediately belts Rob in the head with a clothesline and cuts off his momentum Brock then slaps on a bear hug Rob tries to fight out, and Brock says, no, you know what? Fuck it. Turns it into a spine buster. Lol. <laughs> um, Brock continues to slam RVD around the ring, crushing his kidneys against the turnbuckles. RVD fights out of another slam and trips Brock, drop-kicking his face into a turnbuckle, and following up with a roundhouse kick and rolling thunder to pick up a two at last. Uh, RVD then goes for the running standing moonsault, if that's the word I fuck knows, uh, and gets another two. Um, so yeah, as you say, RVD has been pretty well in peril this whole match, but he's, you know, he's fighting from underneath. He's the fiery baby face who's constantly having to mount that offense. And that's something that he's very good at here. It's something that Rey Mysterio would be very famous for in his WWE run. And when you book someone right with the right opponent, this is fun to watch because it it gets the crowd on side, you know, and uh, as we said, RVD was popular. People wanted him to win. And 
they fucking hated Brock at this point. Yeah, so. the, cr- the crowd are really into this. Yeah. Actually, that was that was a note I made more than they were for anything else the entire night, really, apart from maybe Booker. Um, they they really enjoyed this match, and I did too. I thought it was a really really good match. Hmm. Uh, Brock shoots RVD at the ropes. Hamer goes to grab his legs. Uh, but uh, obviously gets a little, you know, maintains his uh, ring awareness, and as Brock charges him, he gets tripped over by Rob. Uh, RVD then leaps at Brock from the top with a martial arts kick and climbs up for the five star frog splash. But Heyman, that dastardly villain, holds Rob in place, and Brock picks him up off the turnbuckle. RVD fights Brock off with a heel kick and then hits a split legged moonsault, which is. Fucking beautiful! One of his nicest moves. I and I I think RVD is another one of those guys. I think he makes them look better than anyone else. Mm. Possibly owing to the uh, the unique uh, Van Dam lift that he invented, which requires doing the split. So he's good with anything like that. Oh god, yeah, it does not look painful. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, RVD then makes the cover, but Heyman leaps into the ring, giving RVD the DQ victory at nine forty nine. But we're not quite done because Heyman slides a chair into the ring to Brock, but RVD nails him with the Van Daminator, which yeah, is lesser that. seen in WWE. It's got to be yeah, said. very rarely does he use mm. it. RVD then chases Heyman around and back into the ring and hits Paul fucking Heyman with a spinning wheel kick. Paul Heyman untrained, <laughs> by the way. And Never then takes bumps either. Yeah. <laughs> he gives Heyman a five-star frog splash. Fucking hell. Which, don't get me wrong, Heyman and RVD are mates, so I imagine, you know, he probably tried to protect him as best he could, but I can't imagine the wheel kick was easy to take. There are wrestlers that don't like taking RVD's kicks. That's it, yeah. I mean, it, I didn't remember that, and it surprised me, because, one, Heyman doesn't take bumps, and two, he certainly wouldn't take... I wouldn't have thought he would have took those two. No. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I suppose, how you know, without how RVD can land on the five-star, he can take that on his arms and legs, and, you know... Yeah. Quite, very little of his weight on Paul, but I, I get you know Kurt Angle didn't like getting kicked in the face by RVD so how the <laughs> fuck Paul Heyman was able to do it I have no idea uh, as Rob celebrates Brock pulls him out of the ring and spikes him uh, right into the floor Brock then strips the commentary table picks Rob up and power bombs him through the table. Uh, yeah. The commentary team lose their headsets in the confusion, and we are left to silently stare at RVD's smashed body as Monday Night Raw comes to a close. <laughs> what a fucking main event, lads! Yeah, that, that was that was easily the highlight of this show for me. They did a really good job with it. Um, like I said, probably one of RVD's best babyface performances in terms of actually fighting like a babyface. I don't feel like he does that in a ton of matches. He hits a lot of his spots, sort of regardless. He rarely... To be fair, it's probably something to do with who he gets booked against. He rarely has to play the fight from underneath type that he does tonight, but yeah. he's so good at it, and the crowd were into it all the way, and I think a lot of them probably thought they were going to see a title change. Um... You know, up until right up until the end, I couldn't. I I remember thinking, I know they got out of this because obviously Lesnar doesn't win the IC title here. But I thought, how did they actually get out of this? But, yeah, because obviously they weren't going to have him lose. I uh, I genuinely, 
I completely forgot this match happened, honestly. And I was like, wait, but I'm sure Brock has never won anything lower than world title. How did they get around this? Yeah, I found myself thinking that. And then I thought, ah, it's going to be Heyman somehow. But I, I couldn't remember exactly what had happened. But, uh, but yeah, it was a really good main event. A really good closing shot as well. They mm. do a really good job a few times in the next few months of establishing Lesnar as, like, obviously a horror movie sort of final yeah. boss, if you will. So, then, that is our Monday Night Raw. What did you make of this one, then, buddy? I quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, the, the, it was a bit odd, really. It was a very sort of main event-driven show. Mm. Um, the, the signs of what will plague the book in in the near future in the sense that it's built around about four people and everybody yeah. else kind of just feels like they're just there. But there there are some really good parts to it. The Vince promo is hilarious. I'm, like I said, I'm convinced it was still supposed to be a backstage meeting that just got out of hand. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the main event. Um, I enjoyed anything Booker T and Goldust. It was, yeah, it was pretty good. I think there was probably better Raws in this time frame, but there was certainly a lot worse as well. There was, uh, and uh, to to that, uh, when next this podcast covers Raw, it will actually be the following week's episode with uh, our first ever uh, match that is included in WWE's own 100 Greatest Matches book. So... Um, when we when we return to Raw, we will be having that Undertaker Jeff Hardy ladder match, which the WWE recognises one of the best matches they've ever promoted. Yeah, that is a classic. To be fair, that was really good. Uh, Mr. John Porter, highs and lows for the show. What was your favourite and least favourite bit of this episode? I think I'll say my main event. The main event was was probably my favourite. Mm. It was a tremendous match, two really good talents and booked perfectly as it should have been for, for both of those guys uh, Lowe's Jesus um, I mean <laughs> there's so much there that just feels like filler I guess it's got to be Dreamer and Raven just because it's sad to see two guys who are probably you know wrestling hall of fame worthy they might not be wwe hall of fame worthy but you're talking about two of the top stars of the the 90s there absolutely and they're just out there and was it was it a two minute match and the loser is never seen on raw again in fact we never see raven i don't think we see raven on raw or smackdown he does a, a brief run on heat and then I think by the end of the year he's in TNA. If I'm not, if I, I'm I not believe mistaken. he is. Yeah, this is um, Raven. So yeah. Raven, another one with one foot out the door, but for very different reasons. What were yours? Uh, <laughs> honestly, the same. Um, fucking amazing main event. I could have gone for the women's tag match, but at least the crowd cared about a couple of the people in that match. Whereas the Trisha's g- getting over at this point. That, yeah. that was the thing I noticed. Trish is pretty over. Oh god, they point. love Trish. And yeah. it, it, it's to their credit that they get, they sort of decide between you know between her and the company, hey, you know, we need to get her ring quality up an extra level. So yeah, good show on the whole. I enjoyed this. You know, a fun breezy watch. Seven matches, if you can believe it. Um, although all but two of them under five minutes. Yeah, so, they, they fit a lot of matches in, but didn't give them a lot of time. It's a very top-heavy show, this one. But, again, you know, when, you, when you're watching it on the network, it's a, it's a quick old view. It's an hour and a half when you take the ad breaks out. 
<laughs> so, uh, as we move onward to our next point on the timeline then, before we get to see young Cena, we have one more stop to make, ladies and gentlemen. Because, oh yes, in case you forgot, there's a Golden Thong Award up for grabs. (laughs) On our next episode, we're going to be taking a look at Divas Undressed, which was a TV special that aired the following night from this episode of Raw, um, in which the Divas go about in their pants. There's really no way to explain it. Yeah, no, I, I, they were plugging this quite heavily, obviously, during oh, yeah. the show. They've been um, they've been on about this one for the last couple of weeks now, and I don't think anyone really knew what to expect other than scantily clad women. Yeah, and I found myself thinking, like, how easy was it to get primetime television in 2002 that this was, like, a, a primetime special the day after Raw? I mean, it shows how sort of dominant the WWE must have been at yeah, that time. absolutely. To be able to go to them and go, hey, we want to do this. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Is it... Because I know it's a few years later, but they do a they do a pay-per-view as well, don't they? I'm sure they do, like, a Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view at some point. Uh, they... It's weird, because we, did, we didn't get these in the UK. But in America, mm. all your sort of swimsuit uh, divas... Uh, specials that we did, we got the DVDs for them, but in America they were mm. available as pay per view as well. Um, God help anyone who paid for them twice is all I can say. <laughs> uh, you know, at least with the DVD, you've got a physical thing in your ownership. There's very little point in ordering the pay per view for a swimsuit special, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do have a you know not to sort of spoil things too much. There's a little bit of character work on the the Divas Undressed episode, so mm-hmm. um, and we will you know we'll get into exactly why on earth they would think this was a good idea <laughs> when uh, when we cover that next time. And I'll be joined by the one and only Katie Lawson for that because Katie is the only one who would do that episode with me without having me arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the meantime, then, John, where can our lovely listeners find you on the World Wide Web? I'm actually visible in most places in the World Wide Web. Um, if you if you type J Porter Comedy into almost any um, social media search, you will probably find me. Uh, be that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Twitch, <laughs> TikTok, wherever that I don't do much on TikTok, but I do have one. Um, yeah, if you if you type in J Porter comedy, you will find me, and hopefully you'll be entertained by my brand of cynicism and humour, <laughs> and God knows what else that I might come out with on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, you're always entertaining. Uh, as for me then you can find me on Twitter at LT Dangerous you can find the show on Twitter at RA Relived and you can contact us at either one or you can drop us an email if you want to go a little bit more long form and uh, you don't want to pay £8 a month Um, you can drop us an email LTRuthlessAggression at gmail.com and uh, any emails will be read out on the show unless of course they're horribly obscene don't send nasty horrible things like that Um, we did mention earlier in the episode Wrestlemania X8 on the GameCube Uh, I am going to be streaming that fairly soon (laughs) Um, we're going to hopefully aim to do Wrestling Wednesdays 
on my Twitch channel semi-regularly. Oh, nice. uh, that may take the form of the universe mode I've been setting up. I'm doing a Ruthless Aggression-themed universe uh, in WWE 2K23. And I'm also going to be playing through the video games of the era, starting with WrestleMania X8. Um, <laughs> I have that on official hardware, so how well it'll look run through the HDMI, I don't know. But it'll look better than it does in the emulator, because it looks like crap. And if you've got any interest in seeing me suffer through this miserable experience, you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash ltdangerous, and hopefully uh, semi-regularly on Wednesdays we'll have a little bit of wrestling content for you there. Marvellous! Well then, I think that brings us successfully to the end of another episode. John, it has been a pleasure as always. It's always a pleasure. It's great to be here, and uh, I'll be back again soon. Absolutely. Um, so, until then, next time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, join us once more as we see the divas get undressed. Hooray! <laughs> I think. Please don't put me on a government watch list, I'm begging you. Um, once again, thank you to my wonderful co-host, Mr. John Porter. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to us, and I'll see you next time. Bye bye